This is Down by the Bank, an unofficial Jacksonville Jaguars podcast, episode three. I'm Corey. Hey, guys. This is Derek. Today, we actually have an awesome, very awesome special episode with a special guest. Um, We're actually joined via phone by Mike DiRocco of ESPN. Um, He actually joined ESPN in 2011, covers the Jaguars. Um, He has great social media interaction with the fans. You can follow him at at ESPN DiRocco on Twitter. And he also has a must-read Jags blog on ESPN that we'll link to in the podcast description and on social media as well. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm kind of honored. Episode three, and I'm pretty pretty cool to be on episode three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're we're excited to have you, Mike. It's uh, it's which Corey and I are really big Jags fans, and uh, we've been talking about uh, planning this podcast for some time and to have someone with your stature and have uh uh, credentials is is great it's pretty awesome uh you guys are being way too nice but i appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) but just to kind of uh get started here um you know luke jokel is having a good camp and preseason um do you think that the competition has created a sense of urgency for him to perform you know, even with Calvin Beecham still coming along slowly with the repaired uh, ACL, you know, from where do you attribute his increased physical play, as you mentioned in your recent blog post? Yeah, it's funny because, you yeah, know, just wrote about that. You know, I talked to Luke after the game the other day, and he said, this is the best camp he's had. This is year four for him, obviously, and he feels like this is the most physical he's been. This is the, the most clear-headed he's been. And, you know, Gus Bradley's theory is that, look, he knows the offense now. You know, he it's his second year in it. And when you're 100% sure of what you're able to do, you play faster and you play more physical. Because if you go back and look, they draft Jokel and they put him at right tackle. Then he's uh, moved back over left tackle week five, gets hurt. Then, um, you know, second year, his first full year at left tackle. Then his third year, it's a brand new offensive system. So, you know, he's fine. It feels like he's he's got his head right where it needs to be, and that's helping him be more physical. And, and you know, you can see it out there on the practice field. He's gotten into several scuffles. Um, you know, the first time it was like, okay, well, sure, okay, Luke's involved in a scuffle. That that's kind of newsy. But then when he's involved in the second one, we're going, whoa, what what's going on here? Um, maybe the light finally switched on for him. And um, you know, I, like I said, I spoke with him in the locker room, and he told me that he feels he would be at this point anyway, even if. The Jags hadn't brought in Kelvin Beecham, but I certainly think that that's probably been a little bit of a motivating factor for Joko. Hey, look, they didn't pick up my option. They brought this other guy in to compete with me. I'm a left tackle in this league. I'll prove to these guys I deserve to be a left tackle in this league, and I deserve to be the left tackle here for the next five, seven, eight years. Yeah, that's what I was kind of, uh, Corey and I talked and recorded yesterday in the first episode that you know, we would rather have Joko stick around if it's if he ends up working out and he does well. You know, hey, then that's another player, one less player that we don't have to get. So I I, I like that and excited about his uh, sense of urgency and hopefully it continues on to the start of the season. Yeah, and look, he played okay last year. I know that fans don't like Luke Joko as a player, and and you know I'm not particularly impressed with him either. But he did play pretty well last year. Unfortunately, the five sacks that he gave up in the final game against Houston sort of is the lasting <laughs> impression that we all have of him. But now, that being said, you know, has he been great? No. Has he been playing like the number two overall pick that you would expect the number two overall pick to play? No. 
but he's been an average left tackle at, at, at his best. And that's okay, I guess. I mean, you can win in the league with that. But, you know, it looks like, you know, at least through these first two games, that he's, you know, upped his game a little bit. And that's nothing but, you know, good for the Jaguars. Now you just got to figure out who the left guard's going to be. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh. I would like to tell everyone listening if they still don't like Joko, then replace him in that game against Houston, and you go block JJ Watt, and we'll see how that works right. out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's yeah, the unfortunate exactly. thing, though, is in this division you have to deal with Watt twice a year. So, you know, he's going to have some trouble with Watt. But the, you know, the Jags can't be stupid and say, "Hey, look, you got him one on one." You could do that with Baselli. You could say to Baselli, "Okay, Bruce Smith, that's your guy." He, we're not worried about it. You take care of him. Can't do that with Joko with Watt. And, and really, you can't do that with anybody with Watt. But certainly, you know, Joko is not able to handle him one-on-one. So they have to be smart in how they help him out, whether it's uh, keeping the tight end in or chipping him with the back. They just can't let him take Watt one-on-one. So, you know, if, if, if he turns out to play the way that he's played the first two preseason games, you know, that's a little better than, than what he played last year, and, and the Jags should be okay there. Yeah, I think ideally, I mean, sure, I'm sure Caldwell wants Jokel to start, and if anything, having Beecham as depth is nothing but a perfect. Scenario, well, you know, when right? they signed him, there are people inside that building that believe that Beecham's a top ten tackle in the league, and uh, which was weird because I don't think you would think that if the Steelers believed that, then they would have brought him back, even though he was coming off an ACL. Because let's be honest, an ACL is not a career ending injury anymore. 15 years ago, it was bad, but right now ACLs are really, other than the fact that it takes 9, 10, 11 months to get back on the field, it's not that bad of an injury in terms of career uh, impacting someone's career. So they would have brought him back if they thought that, but they didn't. So it's interesting to see how much the Jags valued him, but you know, I think he's had like two or three full practices since camp began. You know, he may be able to play in the third preseason game against the Bengals. We'll have to see um, but honestly, it, it's it's getting to the point where if he doesn't get on the field pretty soon, then you really can't logistically expect him to be a guy that you can count on for the opener. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's uh, that's gonna you know questions in the air. Uh, Mike, tell us about you know, this you know, slot receiver. You know, uh, so you've heard of, I'm a big FSU fan, so I got some a little bit of loyalty to Shard Green, but. We got you know Walters and uh, Lee, and uh, they're both you know have, look like having a good camp. Looks like Lee's uh, hamstrings doing better than that first initial scare. Uh, do you think who do you think is get the nod, or do you think they just rotate until one guy sticks out and one guy shines? Uh, to be honest with you, I think the guy that shined right now is Marquise Lee. Um, you mentioned you know the hamstring injury early in camp, and in past that would have been good for six seven weeks out, you know. But he's back and he's playing pretty well and. And it's interesting how they'll use it because I think if, if I don't necessarily think they want to use Marquise Lee in the slot as much per se. I think they like him on the outside as well. So when they would go to three receivers, which we saw against the Bucks when it was Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, and Marquise Lee, they put Marquise Lee outside and they put Hearns in the slot, which you can do because he's so consistent and can handle you know playing both outside and inside. Um, and there are even some instances where the Jaguars may put um, Allen Robinson in the slot every once in a while. But, you know, I think I look at it more as a turn of, of the top three receivers, and one, two, and three. And right now it's, it's those three guys. And Rashad Green is probably in my book number four. Um, and he will get some work in the slot. That's where he is the most effective. But I think if the Jags run out three wide receivers, you know, it's going to be Lee, Robinson, and Hearns. 
Um, you know, and there's a lot of competition for that fifth receiver spot between Walters and Ben and Tony Washington. So that's really an interesting thing to look at. But I think if Lee stays healthy, he'll be their number three. And he's had a really good camp so far. And, and he just adds that element that none of the other guys bring, that elite speed um, to that offense. Yeah, he, he's real quick out of his breaks on those out routes and those slants in, you know, if the linebacker comes yeah. in the middle. I mean, he gets off the ball so fast and gives that another uh, reliable option for Bortles across the middle. Yeah, the thing that I – it took me a while to figure this out about Marquise Lee is I would watch him, you know, in pregame and during practice, I'd watch him run. And it, I, I kept thinking, boy, he just – he doesn't look like he's running hard. He looks like he's just kind of giving it a 75% <laughs> effort. But then you realize, well, he's separating. And he he's just so smooth that it doesn't look like he's running hard, but he actually is. And it took me a while to figure that out, but you're right. He is really quick in and out of the breaks, and he's got that ability. You, man, you get him something short, and he can make a first guy miss, and then he boom, he's off to the races. That's something that the Jags would really love to take advantage of. And, uh, you know, he's he's had a great camp so far, and I think he's a guy that, you know, it's great for him you know, because this is going into a contract year as well. So it'll be interesting to see how things work out for him. But it's kind of a make-or-break year for him. He's got to prove that he can be a part of this offense. Or, you know, then they will move on to a guy like Rashad Green, who's probably primarily, you know, their biggest, uh, the biggest impact he'll make, I think, this year will probably be still as a punt returner. Yeah, Derek, Derek, you're not allowed to have an opinion on this. You're clearly <laughs> biased. So. Green, Rashad hasn't done anything bad. It's just I think Marquise has been better. I tell you what, it is really nice to be having this conversation about competition and depth at the receiver position versus what we were talking about, you know, three or four years ago. I remember, two thousand. My first year on the beat was two thousand thirteen, um, and I just I look back at the names of the guys that caught passes that year, and it's like, ooh, no wonder that offense was horrible. I mean, just oh, <laughs> I mean, and Cecil was hurt. I mean, and oh, it was just brutal um, what that offense had, and, it, and the talent has just exploded on offense in, in, in just, you know, two years, really, because most of these guys were around last year. Well, I will say, like, speaking of depth through the camp and the preseason games, there has been a little bit of a noticeable drop in the production between the first and second teams uh, in the preseason game. Uh, quarterback, I think the last game, was like four combined interceptions with the other quarterbacks. <laughs> Not good, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, in our opinion, free safety, but... Do you foresee any other positions having depth issues during the season at this point? Well, I would say offensive line, but honestly, that's 95% of the teams in the league don't really have good depth on the offensive line. Um, so I'll throw that out. Um, I'm not sure that they're real good at linebacker, to be honest with you, depth-wise, other than Miles Jack. Um, you know, and he's still kind of feeling his way, so I'm not really quite sure you know, what his role is going to be early in the season. I don't think the Jaguars are still quite sure. But other than that, I think in the secondary, they've got a lot of quality guys in the secondary. They're going to cut some good football players there. Same thing at receiver. Um, running back, you know, it's sort of a little bit of a Yeldon Ivory and then a bunch of guys competing for scraps. But I do think at linebacker, um, you know, Ryan Davis has you know, moved over to that auto spot. and That's a change for him. And you know, I'm not sure how important, or I shouldn't say it that way, I'm not sure how much of an impact game Scoot is going to have. Um, you know, Talvin has 
that elite speed, but the Jags are pulling their hair out with him because he keeps getting himself out of position. Those two long pass plays in that Jets game, that's because he was out of position. So that's a battle they're still fighting with him. So I don't necessarily think that that, that linebacker position overall is real strong, but then when you try to you know get other guys on the field other than Miles Jack, I just don't think that it's very uh, talented right now overall. Yeah, I brought up that uh the, that play, those two plays against the Jets, and saw one. I, I literally put it on slow mo on my co- uh, computer, and I saw Fitzpatrick <laughs> just manipulate him with his eyes, <laughs> and I just was like, "No, don't jump that route!" And sure enough, he goes right over the top. So <laughs> I'll say this: it's they love his speed, and they love the fact that he's a playmaker, but they're just not thrilled with the fact that he keeps getting out of position. And and I tell this to people. And I know I get funny looks every once in a while, but it wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me, guys, if that first third down where they're going to go two linebackers, you know, they're going to go a nickel. It wouldn't surprise me if the two guys out there were Paz and Miles Jack and Talvin came up. If they can't Uh, trust him to stop getting out of position, then they're going to have to go with somebody else because that's, you know, third down defense is where they were terrible last year, among other areas, I should say. Um, you know, and they've got to get better on third down. And, you know, you can't have a guy that's not in position. Uh, I think if they can get him to stay in position and to play his assignment and not try and freelance and not get confused and get out of position, then he'll be fucked because of his speed and his athleticism and playmaking ability. But if he keeps going to the point, getting to the point where he's not in position and they can't count on him, that it, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if it's Puzlesny and Jack. Maybe not at the beginning of the year, but maybe by the, you know, end of the first month, if it's still a problem with Talvin. I should probably say the end of the first month instead of the first week. Wow. Yeah, and what a story that would be with Miles Jack. Yeah, and he's he's still coming along, like I said before, but the, the athleticism and his coverage ability – um, is, is evident when you see him on the field and how well he runs. And remember, guys, when he was at UCLA, they had a game against USC, and they put him on Nelson Aguilar and said, go cover. And he did. I think Aguilar had two catches while uh, Jack was in man coverage. So, I mean, that's wow. impressive. There are a lot of DBs that can't do that, and he was able to do it as a linebacker. Yeah, wow. That's very impressive. It was extremely impressive. Let's switch back here to the offense. Uh, one of my favorite topics is the red zone and the run game. Um, I personally think you should run to set up the pass. I've had a couple people that beg to differ. Um, what do you, what's your take on the running game so far? And, you know, how do you think it'll help Bortles in, in, inside the 20? It's been great. I mean, not, when I say that, I'm obviously talking about first team because that, that's really what I'm looking at, the first team. Um, offensive line and the backs, and those guys combined are averaging five yards a carry, Yeldon and, and Ivory. And the offensive line, I know teams aren't game planning. And I know that the Jets were missing, um, I can't remember who they were missing, but I know the Bucks were missing Gerald McCoy. So McCoy, it wasn't yeah. a whole, yeah, it wasn't a whole 100% defensive front they were facing. But boy, guys were open, or excuse me, holes were there. Guys were able to get movement on the offensive line. So that running game is is a difference maker, I think, this year, potentially. And I know the funny thing is, is people look at, uh, if you look on the roster, Yeldon and Ivory weigh, weigh about the same. I think there's like two pounds difference. They're not the same kind of runner. Right. I mean, Ivory is a power downhill banger, and, and Yeldon is more of a glider, I think. Um, not saying that he can't be physical, but I think that's his style, and I think they complement each other really well. 
if they can run the ball in the red zone, that opens up the whole a whole different ball game for them offensively because they couldn't run the ball in the red zone. I mean, they couldn't run the ball in the goal line either. We remember the Toby Gerhardt four cracks from the one that didn't work. I mean, and, uh, no one wants to remember that, but that was you know a huge problem for them. Ivory's going to be great on the goal line. This red zone offense, if they don't turn it over and board doesn't make mistakes and you know throw a couple of picks in the end zone, and that running game is indeed as solid as it looks in the first two preseason games, boy, that that should make that team much much more effective in the red zone. And that, like you said, was one of their huge weaknesses last year. I really like fear for the safety of the opposing players when Ivory runs. I mean, like violent is the best way to describe that guy's running style. It is scary. He runs hard, really hard. Doesn't go down on first contact. I mean, that was a signing in free agency, guys. That when they made it, I was like, okay, you know, Chris Ivory. That's that's nice. It sounds like an okay signing. The more I see him play, and the more I see how they he performed in practice, the more I like it. And I think that that will be. Uh, one of those signings at the end of the year that we look back on and go didn't probably give it enough credit at the time. Yeah, the uh, I, I say this all the time, Mike, to get those linebackers to at least take one to two steps forward on that play action to free up some of those seams and gaps down the middle of the field, down the hash. Um, I think Ivory's going to you know bring that fear, just even having him in the game in the red zone. So I'm excited about that because – no more uh, drive-killing, momentum-killing turnovers, hopefully, in the red zone. That, uh, <laughs> that just like have you looking at the – if you're in the stands, like in the Carolina game where I saw Josh Norman, oh, man. Uh. <laughs> what a yeah, horrible well, I feeling. tell you what, you got to be happy with what you saw from Bortles um, in terms of not making mistakes down in the red zone because – I guess in the, the opener against the Jets, he kind of double-clutched. There was a miscommunication with him and, and Julius Thomas. He kind of double-clutched a little bit, through low. Still probably should have been caught. I mean, that's a you're paying that guy $9 million a year to go down on the ground and get the football. <laughs> um, you know, but, but the touchdown pass to Allen Hearns the other night, you know, he looked left, wanted to go to Allen Robinson, wasn't there, didn't force it, came right back, and then threw a great pass to Allen Hearns. So his decision-making has been better. Certainly, that's a huge factor for the Jags. You know, you don't want to throw picks in the red zone or when you're backed up inside your own red zone. So his decision-making has been better. So hopefully, if you're the Jaguars, that means much less mistakes in the red zone. And if you had a better running game in there, then they should be pretty darn effective. Right. And Derek's a lot more in the X's and O's than I am. But whatever textbook looks like, that's what I think Bortles <laughs> was doing right there, swiveling around the field like that. I mean, that is textbook, yeah, that's, right? that's fantastic that, that he's able to now look guys off a lot more. Um, I wouldn't call the fundamentals on that throw textbook because it was off the back foot, you know, but <laughs> yeah. it was a good throw. And, and that's who he is. You guys know. I mean, he's never going to be a pretty quarterback. He's just not going to be the guy that has the fantastic mechanics like Tate Manning or Tom Brady. You know, he's going to be a little bit of a backyard quarterback, um, but that's okay because his fundamentals and his mechanics are better than they were as a rookie. You can win with this guy. Sure. Hey, a guy sure. just got into the Hall of Fame, and he's a backyard quarterback. We all know who that is. Brett Favre's mechanics were absolutely <laughs> dreadful, but he could win some ball games and sling it down the field, that's for sure. <laughs> and that's a guy I compare Bortles to. Mainly because, for well, two things. Number one, the supreme confidence um, of I'm going to get that ball in that one-inch square hole. I can get it there. i got a good arm. I can make this throw. And 
his ability. Right. He, he likes to gamble a little bit, and that's what Brett Favre did. So he's going to be a guy, Blake is, I think, that's going to throw more interceptions than you probably would want. Um, but the key is make sure those interceptions don't come in the red zone or when you're backed up. Make sure he understands, hey, it's third and seven from my 27. I probably don't need to take a chance here. Nothing open, fire it away, let's punt instead of trying to force something. So 17, 18 interceptions his first two years, you probably want that around 9, 10. Maybe low teens you can live with depending on when they come, but he's just, I think, going to be a guy that throws a lot of interceptions. If I'm correct, Brett Favre is throwing the most interceptions in NFL history too. Um, yep, think. that's right, so, right, right. I mean, you can, you know, as long as you're smart about it, you can get by with those. And, and Blake looks like he's been much smarter with the football at least through first two preseason games this year. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely something that has stuck out and glad to see him uh, uh, tighten that up. Um, last question uh, we got for you is just the overall direction of the team, Mike. Uh, it, it seems great. Uh, defense is faster. They look a little bit more scrappier. Uh, Bortles, A-Rob, and Hearns, good chemistry. You can tell they've been throwing off se- on the, in the offseason. But special teams – I, I <laughs> special teams, uh, the, 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 the long kickoff returns, the, the, the punt returns. And although, uh, Myers hasn't missed a kick yet, but you know, they slightly hook sometimes. Uh, what do you, what, yeah. What, what are They're you thinking there? Cause we can't, we gotta be good in all three phases of the game. Well, the thing about special teams, I'll say this is they have not game planned or schemed special team wise, um, for, um, for opponents, you know, it's just hey, we're just gonna we're working on our our coverage and what we're gonna do. We're not they're not necessarily trying to figure out, um, you know, the best way to attack a team, special team on returns and all that other stuff. They're just basically trying to just get the punt off, work on the mechanics of it, work on the kickoffs in terms of, you know, they want Myers to drop the ball between the two and minus two um, to try and get um, you know guys pinned inside the twenty twenty five so there's no touchback, um, but. You know, and the other thing to consider is too is there's a a lot of guys on those special teams units that won't be on this roster and won't and may not be on anybody's roster, you know, by the end of the month. So it's a little concerning, sure, um, but I think this week will be a, a much better test because this week they're going to game plan, um, not to the extent of like a regular season game, but they'll certainly game plan much more for the Bengals than they have for the first two games. So Nortman, I think we saw the other day. Um, He's a real good directional punter. He's got really good hang time. So it looks like that's an upgrade from anger. And Myers, I know they've hooked in, but the bottom line is, is he hasn't missed. And who would you rather have right now, yep. Roberto Aguayo or Jason Myers? No, no Aguayo <laughs> here. I, 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 and that's, and that's the FSU head, guy but... right there, right? The FSU guy is Aguayo? Yeah, I know. Ugh, what a terrible... I mean, he's probably going to be good in the end, but, like, just that draft pick, ugh. Yeah. That round pick is way too high. Yeah, we're, we're going to count the all-pro, or not all-pro, I should say. Maybe there will be some, but the all-rookie first-teamers and second-teamers after Aguayo, and um, we'll see how many there are. I bet you there's going to be a good bit of them, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Myers is going to be fine this year, fellas. I, I don't know why. Um, I've spoken with him a lot. It seems like his head's in a good place. So, um, now I could be wrong. You could go out and shank the first PAT of the season and everyone's going to kill me, but I think he's going to be okay. I swear if that happens and we're there at that first game live, 
the mm-hmm. only guy, the only guy that, that gets like a standing ovation when he kicks the PAT. Like you don't see that anywhere <laughs> else around the league, and, and he gets a standing. I saw him the first preseason the, for the Bucks game. Just like a standing ovation. I'm like, okay, all right, that, that's that's a little bit cruel, but you know it's kind of warranted. He, you can't miss seven PATs. Hey, kind of a random last question. Gus Bradley, that guy looks like he's in shape now. Did you see? Have you have you talked to him about that? I mean, what's his uh, method there? What's his uh, workout routine? Uh, I I I don't think he's doing that thing that Tony Baselli did the night before thing. I think he's he's really just kind of working out more and being smarter with what he eats. Um, and he's not really kind of telling everybody where, what the total number was that he lost, but I've heard it somewhere in the 30 pound range. Uh, so yeah, he looks oh, good. Wow. Lot, I was going to say he has a lot more energy, but let's be honest. Is it possible for any human being to have more energy than Gus Bradley does on a regular <laughs> day anyway? I mean, uh, but yeah, he looks good. It says he feels good. So, um, you know, it looks like, uh, you know, a couple of the other assistant coaches too have, have uh, dropped a few. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe they've kind of been energized a little bit. And, you know, as, as my friend Pete Prisco likes to say, football season is not football season, it's fatball season. And uh, <laughs> those, those of us in the media, <laughs> right. and uh, I think it happens to some coaches too, end up uh, putting on a little bit of weight during football slash fatball season. But, uh, you know, Gus is in good shape. Maybe he'll be able to uh, to lose a few more during the season. So say maybe their hidden motto is coaches that look good together win together. I'm definitely yeah and like his whenever he finally retires or stops coaching I will definitely download his like motivational yeah. audio books and listen to them. he uh yeah. he spoke at uh, my church in uh in the spring I want to say it was in May um because the the uh, priest at my church is one of the uh, team chaplains uh, Father Andy Blaskowski. So he came and spoke to our church uh, for a fundraising event for um, a daycare center that uh, they're building over there. And uh, at the end, it was like a 30-minute talk. And at the end, I mean, there were 60-year-old women that were ready to run through a wall for this guy. I mean, if you've never been to <laughs> or heard Gus Bradley speak, it is unbelievable. I mean, I covered the University of Florida for 13 years. One of the best public speakers I've ever heard was Billy Donovan. Um, and Gus Bradley is better than Billy. And, and that's hard for me to admit because I really love Billy Donovan, but he is fantastic. And he got, I'm telling you, there were people in there that were ready to, to sign up and, and just throw on the pads and go take on Malik Jackson. It was unbelievable. It was just <laughs> so great in a room like that. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, um, again, Mike, we so insanely appreciate it it's so awesome that you joined us on episode three and um again you know mike's on twitter he's an awesome follow on twitter check him out at espn Duraco. uh his blog is one of the first things i look at um after any given game or practices so it's definitely a great uh, great blog and great site on espn and we'll link both of those in the description and on the social media sites too um but yeah mike we really appreciate it, it means oh, thanks a lot. for having me hope i didn't ramble too much no, no, you didn't. It uh, it definitely helps when the two of us aren't rambling. We get a third. We we like a third person here. It sounds great. It sounds a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, people might actually yeah. subscribe now. Actually, so that's a good thing. Awesome. Well, like I said, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks. All right, thanks, and thanks everyone for listening to Down by the Bank. Please like us on Facebook and Twitter at Down by the Bank One Word to see when new episodes are out. 
Subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. And if you could, please rate and review us on iTunes. It just moves us up the charts a little bit so that we're a little bit more visible. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.